I'm Nate Landshark Shermer. How's it going, Nate? Thanks for being back again. I'm Juan Ortiz, and I'm very, very, very personally very excited for our guest that we have today. A great man. He's been the reason why we've had food at uh, our campout since about February, January. Man is a member of the VFW, the American Legion, and the uh, Department of uh, the DAV, uh, Dr. Foley Parker. Well, I'm here with as Dr. Parker representing Holiness Ministry Coalition, and it's a pleasure of mine to be here with Nate and Juan, two fellows that I met through the work that I do, knowing that they have the same passion to address their veterans and also to exercise their strength and their power of knowledge to address the humanitarian issues that we all face, which is particularly the one that I face, which is the veterans that are now food insecure and also their children. Heck yes, that was, I think that was the best introduction we've gotten out of a guest. Yeah. <laughs> right wow. on, right on. Um, Dr. Parker, thank you again for, for coming out here, for making the drive. You're coming all the way from Oceanside, right? That's right. All right, and that's that's where you have the Lamb of God Food Ministries is, is the proper name? Proper name for the coalition and the 501c3 organization is Holiness Ministries Coalition. Okay. Lamb of God Feeding Pantry, a food bank, if you would say. The distribution center is in Vista, California. And the coalition, through that particular branch of the coalition, which is the Feeding the Feeding the Need program, Lamb of God Food Bank, we also have collaborative partners throughout the North County, reaching down here to the East County, and now I just received some information that we're going to be mm -hmm. connecting with someone in Riverside County. So Expanding. I look forward to the expansion and I also look forward to being able to address, you know, the needs of the veterans, because being a veteran once myself, and knowing that when you're homeless, it seems like nobody cares. And when you're ate out of a trash can and you kind of lose your mind because you got caught up and you feel like nobody's around after you didn't serve your country and you come back home and everybody seemed to be getting treated better than you are, I found myself in a situation where I was just caught up in the world. And in the world, I mean caught up in life itself where I didn't have no sense of direction, didn't know where to go, found myself, like I said, sleeping in an abandoned car wash, eating wow. out of a trash can. And then when I did finally come to my senses, when God reached out and kind of slapped me around, I found myself in Menlo Park over in the VA hospital over there. And I couldn't stay there too long because it wasn't for me. So I left that program and I just ventured around and then I found myself in and out of jail houses and just doing all kind of different crazy stuff because I was just trying to find a sense of direction. And when I did so, I found myself answering the call of feeding the needs of the people. And as I said, we set up a distribution center over in Vista, California, at the Lifeway Church, where we distribute Tuesday and Thursday from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. And each and individual can come there and get at least 100 pounds of food. Wow. Once a week, every week. 100 pounds of food. Yes. And they're, they're, they're kind of like preset. His staff takes the time to make aside kind of carts, like little shopping carts, and yes. they stock each shopping cart with cans of beans, pastas, rice. So everyone is kind of like ready for a family to take, roll over to their car, unpack, they return the cart. Um, it's, it's a whole operation to see. And how often can they do this, or how often do you do this? We do it every week, and they are able to come once a week, either Tuesday or Thursday. What we have is we issue cards with the days on it. So if your days are Tuesday, you can come on Tuesday only, but you can come once a week. Yeah. And the reason we had to uh, relate to that type of 
criteria is because you you know you get you get all kinds when you're dealing with people. Right. And trying to target the veterans themselves, you have a lot of people that come and not veterans, and they're trying to come and get food. You, you, you have a lot of riffraff coming in, so you have to kind of weed it out. But we do do it every week, once a week, for anybody that's able to come and get the food. And, and how many can you, what's your capacity that you can serve? Well, right now we're serving on a, any given day between 60 and 100 people, 100 families. Wow. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yes. Yeah, Thank so, you. Yes. And so right now... I think we would, with all the collaborative partners that we're working with right now in San Diego County alone, we're probably reaching about 4,000 families a month. Wow, so cool. So I was, I was just thinking back to your story. And uh, so the Marine Corps didn't slap you around enough, so you had to have God slap you around a little bit, huh? Well, no, Marine Corps <laughs> slapped me around too much. Too <laughs> much, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, because it had me thinking that I was invincible when I was really had to come back down to earth because when they... When you are 16 and a half and they inject you into a war situation, it's kind of, especially when you're coming out of a war situation, okay? Because it's war going right here, on, going on right here on our home ground. Yeah. And if you're raised in that type of environment, to me, you're already what they call in my time, shell shot. Now they call it PTSD, right? <laughs> what they call it shell shot back then. But so knowing that when I had the Marine Corps experience, because it taught me a whole lot, and it taught me a lot about integrity, and it taught me a lot about survival. So I was never without the needed skills that I needed, what the Marine Corps had taught me in order to survive. But I found myself in a situation where it becomes now a little bit more than just self-survival, because there are those out there that are in the same predicament that you were in that don't know how to exercise their survival gifts. So yeah. you have to kind of reach out and pull them up. And that's my thing, is if I see you in the hole, I'm going to give you the rope to pull you up so I can know one thing. If somebody gave me the rope to pull me up, you didn't leave me there in the hole. Right. That's basically it. And did I hear you right? Did you say 16 and a half? I, I caught that too. I was going to ask, yeah. Yes, I was a baby. Because uh, wow. when I got out, dropped out of school, and my parents said, well, you got to do something. And I was like, well, you know what? I ain't trying to do all this. <laughs> and during the 60s, I come up in this era where it was the flower child era. Everybody yeah. was doing acid. Everybody was doing, you know, drugs. You, you, if you had it, if, if you were there, you did it because you was in that environment. So at my at young age, walking around with window paint and orange sunshine and all of this crazy <laughs> stuff, you know what I'm saying, and seeing all kind of madness, one day I went home and I, well, I, it was a street called Canal Street. It's in New Orleans. That's where the custom house was, which was the recruiting house. So that's where you grew up is New Orleans? Yes, yes. So okay. I went down there, and I went to the custom house, and I said, man, and I went to the Air Force first, and they were talking, and I'm like, oh, I ain't feeling this. I went to the Army, no, I'm not feeling this. And I stepped in the hallway, and I saw the stars, and we're looking for a few good men. I said, that's me. <laughs> and little did I know, I opened my mouth too fast and did the wrong thing. But anyway, it ended up to be the right thing because I wouldn't be here today. So I went home. I met my recruiter. He talked all this good stuff to me. And I told him, well, I'm, I'm making 17 on this day. And he said, well, your mother can sign for you. If your parents sign for you, you can go. Okay, well, I got to go home and talk to them. As soon as I got home, I'm like, look, this is what I want to do, Mom. This is what I want to do, Father. Oh, make a career, though, my dad. Look, man, I'm not trying to make a career. I just want to get away from this environment. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, 
I said, I need you to sign for me. So I went back, I called the recruiters the next day. He came out to a home visit. They signed the papers. The next thing I know, I found myself on some yellow footprints in San Diego, California, off of a plane, standing on some footprints, and some guy screaming and hollering, get on the bus, get on the bus, get on the bus. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I got out of the frying pan into the fire now. Yeah. And I'm just, like I say, I'm just a baby. Oh, for sure. Oh, baby. I'm like, okay. So we get in there, we get to train it, and it was, it was some rigorous 13 weeks. But do you feel that you were a little bit more prepared than some of the others because you grew up in the South? Yes, and I was venturing down that avenue to give an answer, but now I have to recollect my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what cross street I went down. I think one of, one of the things that you were mentioning is is because it was kind of a zone in and of itself down there at the time. So yes, so was, coming here, yes. you were kind of used to a little bit of that chaos. Right, right. Because as I, was, as I mentioned, as young, young, young boys, we would walk down the street at night, whatever we were doing, mischievousness that we were trying to get into or what have you, and we would have with you these uh, Muslims ride up on you. And they would ride up on you, and they knew you were hungry because you were out in the streets and you probably had no food. So they would come on, get in the car, and bring you to this meeting, and they're preaching all of this crazy stuff to you. And at the same time, give me the food. We have yeah. food, right? So we would eat the food, and then they would talk all of this mess. And then we would go about our business and disregard a whole lot of the stuff that they were talking about. Even as youngsters, we were very aware of tactics of the enemy, so to speak, to try to brainwash you, if you would say, into doing what they would have you to do. That's why I could never get with that thing, because how would I be letting you tell me to put a bomb on me, but you won't put it on you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, to me, that was insane, and at that particular time... That bad leadership. Yes, at that <laughs> particular time, like I say, it was putting you in a position of war, but at the same time, you had to pick your own battlefield. Because if you pick the wrong battlefield, you'll end up being just a sacrificial lamb or a scapegoat for someone else's purpose that wouldn't have no benefit for you whatsoever. So yes, that advantage gave me an advantage to when I went into boot camp, and but I never could get with all of the screaming and hollering. Because <laughs> I was like, what is this about? <laughs> okay, so you know. When at first sight, I was like, when we went to qualify on the range, I was like, man, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and so I went non-qual and shot on the target next to me expert. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh, he, he, that gutter, he just chewed me out. But like I say, he made me redo the thing, so I redid the thing. And okay, Did you I shoot expert it. again? Yeah. Nice. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Man, this is insane. And... Looking back on it right now, it was all a matter of, if you know pressure busts a pipe, how much pressure can you stand because you're not one? Wow. You know, so we have in our brain a, a release valve. And when the pressure builds up, you got to know how to release it. Yeah. And if you don't, you, you can end up with a brain aneurysm or whatever, right. you, you know what I'm saying? But being prepared growing up in an environment that I grew up in with four brothers and nine sisters and wow. mom and dad in a two-bedroom house, I came up with the slogan, never alone. So we were never alone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and if you stayed out 
in the streets after six o'clock and you got home to look for something to eat, you found nothing but empty pots. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was a, when I equate that to the training in the Marine Corps, it was a discipline of being prompt with your time, being <clears throat> attentive with your ears, and knowing that your actions is only going to cause you a misfortune, no one else. And me learning that, like I said, I went through the training with the breeze. A lot of it was crazy to me, but it, it paid off in the end because some situations I found myself in, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But the most amazing part about being prepared for that particular environment is that you go through it in my shoes without a scratch. And then you get out and you get shot in the head point blank range with a Tech 9. Damn. I had a Tech 9 shot in my face. It ripped through my mandible on the left side, shattered it, went around the back of my brain, came and came down some type of way, shattered my mandible on this side and popped out of my right ear. Whoa. And this, so, and this was after you got out now? Back, yes, back in years uh, after I got out. New Orleans or, or back here in San that Diego? Was in California. Okay. And that happening to me put me in a position where I was kind of bitter at the world because I was like, all I've done, nobody cares, yada, 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 you. And it was like, I just went on a binge. And the binge took me to a place of homelessness and despair and you name it, I, I was there. So going through that, the only wound I suffered in the Marine Corps was a through and through knife wound in my hand. I went in the hospital with my tenders and ligaments severed in my little finger. And when they told me that they were gonna give me the operation and come out, it'll be working. But as you can see, it's crypto, <laughs> it's been that way for years. And, and I and fought with those, the those that can't see his, his his pinky is bent at like a... It's it's curled in. It's almost like not, like it's yeah. it's completely curled in, it looks like. And it has all it's like a 90 and 90 degree angle. And it's have all of its sensibility, too, because when I was working in the post office, I used to get it caught on these big mail sacks because I was a mail handler. And I would throw them off this conveyor belt onto these, into these buggies, and the thing would get caught, and wow! So it was, it was crazy. And it took me a many years to fight just to get compensated for a service-connected injury that I felt that I should have got. But mm -hmm. And that was a knife wound suffered in Vietnam? Yeah. From uh, the NVG? Yeah. So wow. it was crazy. And it was like, when I got back home, it was like, it was like Vietnam had came to America. Yeah. Because when you went to the Veterans Administration, everybody was Vietnamese that was helping you. Wow. And it was like, wait a minute. That's I mean, I had I, that, I, yeah, I, I got escorted feeling. out of so many veteran offices across this country. It's not funny. Because I just couldn't get with this. The same people I was fighting against or the same people not denying me and have me jump through all these hoops to get a benefit that I'm entitled to. It was crazy. And so just going through that alone, as I said, it's amazing how you can go from a high school dropout, in my case, to a doctorate in public service. It's amazing. Yeah. 
And it's amazing because I never intended to do none of this. You know, I never was focused on any of this, but the experiences that I had to go through in order to learn firsthand what it is to be hungry, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to see my worst enemy go through that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, when I first heard this voice, they feed my people, I'm like, how am I gonna do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but he opened the door and made a way, and it's been happening ever since, so. When I got into it with some of the big food people that didn't want to let me be an independent organization, but more or less in, invoking their policies upon my organization, I was like, you know what, I ain't got time for this. I don't want to deal with you people. So putting away those organizations, I had a friend who was a lieutenant general named Ronald Bailey, who was in charge of 3-1 a few years ago. He retired now, and he went to the Pentagon. and. I contacted a few more people, sergeant majors that I knew, and I asked them how to do certain things. So I wrote some letters to some certain people in, at the Pentagon, and I ended up with a contract to get the food from the commissary. So wow. I was like, okay, I can feed the people now, <laughs> you know. But I didn't know I was going to have to do most of the work. <laughs> but the work is a rewarding work because I sleep good at night knowing that I helped somebody, especially knowing that I helped another veteran or his children. Yeah. Um, that they can sleep and have a full stomach. I, wow. feel, I, I feel rewarded with that. To, to, to go back, uh, not, not to backtrack off where you were here just saying, but um, fill us in on a, on a few gaps, okay. what you did after training, so in the Marine Corps. I was a grunt. Okay. Uh, and to me, I was a hitman. <laughs> That's what a grunt is. He's a hitman. In, in a time of war, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and in a time of peace, you just waiting around to go get it, go go get a hit. <laughs> you know yeah. What I'm yeah. Because when I was at Camp Pendleton in the seventies, it was cuckoo on that base. <laughs> that base was woo wee. When is it not cuckoo on that base? Oh no, it's civilized now. That base was nothing but rattlesnakes, coyotes, and drugs on that base. Interesting. And then at at five o'clock in the evening, after everyone got through with their work day, the sick calls opened up. It was drugstores. <laughs> you could go oh in there and get white crosses and blotted asses and weed. You could get whatever you wanted right there wow. in, the, in the in the in the sick bay. Hamilton was wild, huh? Oh, yeah, it was. That's much. a perspective. This, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, this little thing that they just came up with with these people trafficking and 16 people in formation. Yeah, yeah, I remember that recently came out. Some like, Marines got in trouble for that. Yeah, and I was like, hello, that happened 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but they didn't do it in formation, but I mean, you know, hey. And Oceanside, when I first came to Oceanside in 72, Hill Street, what they call Coast Highway now, was nothing but all-night theaters for a dollar admission, brothels, and strip joints. I think those those are some old town pictures I want to look up. You know how you see yeah, every now and then, yeah. like, development pictures of places? That's crazy, because I've never heard, yeah. again, just like Nate said, we've never heard that perspective of Pendleton, so that's pretty, pretty yeah, interesting. Oceanside was off the chain. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then how uh, how long did you serve, and were you a grunt the whole time? Were you stationed in the I was a grunt the whole, the whole time? time because after I got injured and I got back and I went through all of this craziness, and I was like, you know what? 
and they gave me an option to I can get out. I said, you know what, let me get out of here because I had to do four years, but they let me out in two years, four months, 19 days. I'm gone. <laughs> Give me here, I'm gone. So after you, You've that, seen enough. You were like, let yeah, me Yeah, I'm done with this. Gotcha. I'm going to the next phase. So after I did that, got out, got out, got injured, got out, came home, got out, went to school, became a barber, went to cosmetology, became a cosmetologist. Went to Rest Electronics School, became a part-time electrician, but I didn't graduate. I went to a lot of different schools. I, 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 what I'm taking out of this is that the Marine Corps left you highly trainable afterwards. You oh, were able yes. to pick up anything. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, it, as, I, as I said, it, the integrity and the initiative that it instilled in me, that it brought out of me, rather, was that there is nothing, no mountain for a climber put it that way. If you put a mountain before a climber, it's nothing he can't conquer. Mm -hmm. So Marine Corps let me see that very vividly, that no mountain in life is, is unconquerable by you if you all consider yourself a climber. So I always climb every mountain I encounter. So mm. Even with the uh, Holiness Ministry Coalition, when I ran into it and I started doing it at first, I've changed volunteer like I change underwear every night <laughs> because a lot of people get in it for monetary values but you got to have a passion for this because if you don't you'll burn out real quick and when you do burn out you'll be like okay uh, you said that we was gonna no 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 I said that if we do this at A we can get to B and then you can see your way through everything else okay <laughs> But if you don't start at A, you don't worry about B because you'll never see. Simple as that. So, I like that. You know, <laughs> so after going through all that, and like I say, Marine Corps sent me back to the Army Navy Academy, and I got my high school diploma and all of that stuff, and I got out of that. And then, like I said, I went from there to the Barber College in Seattle, and from there I went to Seattle Central Community College. And from there, I went back to New Orleans and went to International Beauty College. And I went to a lot of places and did a lot of things. Went to a Retz Electronics School and did a lot of things that I never thought I would do, you know, because I was always bright in school. Because when I learned how to count money and do the rest of it, the rest of it was boring to me. <laughs> I didn't even know about this other stuff, you know, so. So did you ever do anything with your electronics degree? No. Or electronics no, training? No, no, no. I mean, I worked as a part-time journeyman with some people, but because I didn't have the credential, I couldn't even advance myself, and I just couldn't see myself going sit back in school with this trigonometry and all of this stuff to try to. So I was like, you know what, I didn't have time for that. I always had my hand in a lot of things when it came to money, so money was no issue. I know how to make money, money don't make me. Yeah. And so when I had to back up off of all of that and really see that, first of all, I gotta get a focus. And when I focus, then I know where I can go. Because once you focus, there are avenues that you can travel down. Because you focus, you can always travel down to the next one. Wow. It's kind of like having that, that one anchor position in life, whether it be, like you were saying, a, a passion or something that mm -hmm. you define everything else around, everything else falls in place after yeah, that. Yeah, and my passion really came from God. 
That's what my passion was because without him, I wouldn't have made it back home. Without him, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Because I've died a, full, a few times. <laughs> a few times. Wow. So, yeah, one of those times you were talking about where you had the, the Tech 9 at point blank to your face. That was here in California, and this is after the barber school, and this yeah, is after this is, all that. This, matter of fact, this was, what is this, 2019? This was 1999, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Okay. So, so then you ended up in the hospital, and then was that kind of like one of those moments where a light went off, and then you started to change as well, or did it take a little time? No, it took about 90 days after that because... It happened on December 3rd, December the 17th, no, on December the 12th, I was out of the hospital, jaw wired up, eating Christmas dinner through a straw. (laughs) (laughs) Face blowed up like a blowfish. Yeah. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, it wasn't a pretty sight. So it kind of traumatized me more of what I had to endure from already the trauma that I already had, so. Like I said, when I, when God released me to focus my passion on Him, then things started happening. Things started happening, and so here I am. I find myself. So about ninety days after that, what was your progression? What did you do? Ninety days after that, <clears throat> I went moved to Vegas, and I tried to find myself being a professional gambler. Okay. And I lost everything <laughs> I had. <laughs> lost everything I had, and I ended up in King County Jail. Wow. And that's this when is, I... This is kind of the start of... Start of, of preaching. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The start of preaching. And I started in that jail, and I was praying for people and teaching people the theology, and people were going home like that. And I was like, wow, this is a divine move. And then... I ended up getting all the charges dropped on me, and they didn't let me out of the jail. What? I'm telling you, man. That's that's reiterating the divine story that yeah. you were meant to preach. Yes, yeah, so they kept teach. me in wow. the jail, and I was just, and I'm one, like I said, I always had a good sense, so I, would, I wrote a, a handwritten habeas corpus, about 40 pages, submitted wow. it to the judge. And for those that don't know, including myself, what is a habeas corpus? It is a compelling writ to expedite release of a person legally if there is no foundation for any criminal charges for you to hold them. Okay. okay. So a habeas corpus is a compelling writ. It's a writ that you write to address the court to make a decision to whether or not you're going to be staying here or if they have legal grounds to hold you. And are they normally like 30, 40 pages long like you wrote? In my particular case, yes. And in some cases, it could be one page. It just depends on the circumstances of your situation. Yeah. And writing writs requires you to do a lot of legal work that you would have to go to school to do. And I had to learn to shepherdize law cases, I had to learn to marshal the facts out of law cases, and all of this stuff was done to divine inspiration because I, I just spent a lot of time in the library. That's incredible. And wrote a lot of stuff. So after that, they kept me there, and I got out, and I just 
continue to run on with what the God gave me. So then what what kind of brought you to the position where you are uh, now doing a lot of things in the community? So you mentioned the, the Holiness Ministries Coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how you started getting involved with the VFW, the American Legion, the DAV. That, that, that didn't happen overnight. You, you know, signed up for all three or did it? No, I was a life member of the DAV for years. Since 19, I would say 79 or 78, somewhere in there. And I was a life member. And every time I would use them, they would always give me the same excuses that I was receiving when I went to the VA and tried to fight my own case. So they were basically an organization in place that was there to help me. But for some unorthodox reason, I couldn't receive the help I was looking for or was expecting. Mm -hmm. So with that organization behind me, when I continued in my ministry, I used to have a church, a Christian bookstore, and a barbershop in East County here in Spring Valley. And I started working with an organization called the Training Center, which was across the street from the church and the bookstore that I had. And it was a place for reentry. People coming out of the system, going into halfway houses and working their way back into society. From there, I joined with the District Attorney Advisory Board for San Diego County. So from that, at the time, Bonnie Dumanis was the District Attorney. She started an initiative called Senate Bill 618, which was reentry. And it created an organization called uh, Reentry Roundtable. So I was on that and still an uh, active member in that. And I was working with the, the uh, training center and we were funneling people back in. And so I started soliciting food from different organizations that I knew. And I would begin to now receive truckloads of food. And I had Nobody to give it to. <laughs> okay. So I would take me and my volunteers, we would load up our cars, load up shopping bags, and we would just go around and canvas the whole community, every apartment complex, knocking on doors, do you want some free food? And we began in the food bank. And so we did it that way and kept coming and kept coming. And everything began to shut down in Spring Valley, a building caught on fire next door, moved towards us, but we had to move out of that. <clears throat> Ended up coming back up to North County where I'd always already lived because I used to drive 56 miles to Spring Valley every day. Mm. I burnt up three cars <laughs> driving that, 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 that traffic over the two years, two or three years. So when I came back up here after I closed down everything up there, I didn't do anything for a minute. And then I began to hear what the divine God was telling me to go ahead and feed these people. And I'm like, how? So I started out in an apartment complex, and I went to Sioux Plantation, Olive Garden, different places like that. And they would freeze the food for me and put it in these packages. And then I would go pick it up the next day. And I began to do that. And then the apartment complex got so many people coming to that apartment, they thought we were selling drugs. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was like lines of people, right? And so. We fed those people, and then after that, like I say, I connected with different organizations, and from there, the rest of it is history. It just continued on, you know. 
Uh, a, a weird question here. Is there anybody that you'd like to give a, a thank you or a, a sponsor shout out to kind of that's helped you out with what you're doing? I know you said you had a lot of partnerships with um, some of the local restaurants in the area. Anybody that you kind of want to highlight? Yes, I would love to give a shout out to Panera Bread, to Olive Garden, to Soup Plantation, to also my collaborative partner right now in National City at Murphy's Produce, located at 1736 Plaza Boulevard, because he and I has come to a point where now we're engaging in, he has the same passion that I have, and we're engaging in now addressing the communities, not only in North County, but all across the county line. So I would like to give a shout out to those people and all of the different people, which are too many, too numerous to name by name right now, of all the volunteers over the years that have helped me accomplish to be where I am right now. And also, to mention by name, a lady named Mary Jane Winter. Whitaker, who works with the American Legion, because if it had not been for her and me meeting Commander Grimsley, I wouldn't be sitting here now representing the American Legion, because when I got wind of all the different organizations that I had access to because of my military background, that's when I began to join them, and because I was already a life member with the DAV, then I went to the VFW. When the VFW didn't want to respond the way I was expecting a response, then I got a call from the American Legion. And it was Mary Jane on the phone. And I'm like, well, how did you get my number? And she was like, well, I was just doing some research, and I see that you're a veteran, and I would like to talk to you about the American Legion. And so I'm like, okay. So she came out, and I found her very inspiring and very knowledgeable and very compassionate toward the community service that I was doing that she wanted to be a part of. Because when it comes to veterans right now, and it's been over years, and I see it's coming to the surface right now that a lot of people are addressing it, they treat the veterans like total dung. I mean, it's like a, it puts you in a state of oblivion. Because right now, you're getting people that are getting more compassion than the veterans, and I don't understand that, and I never will no. understand it, because if I put my life on the line for my country, at least I could expect is that if I make it back home, somebody will be able to support me, rather than to kick me to the curb and say, okay, we're gonna look out for these people over here, and these, where did they come from? Hold up, I have, a, I have a compassion and a love for all people, but hey, the truth is the truth, and the light of the truth of the matter is that guess what? We, as veterans, have made a sacrifice that I could never equate to anyone else in this nation. Cause, it's very true. Because nobody, yeah. nobody I know that not a veteran or not a military has picked up a gun to go say, I'm going. But Put their pick, life on the line, yeah. Yeah, but they'll pick up guns to take other lives. But it's like, and then when I see how the veteran is being treated and being a veteran, and being inside the jailhouses and incarcerated and seeing the veterans in the jail, how they have nothing and no one cares, and seeing the veterans that they caught up in the drug scene as I was caught up in and nobody cares, and seeing all of this stuff, it made me have a deeper compassion for my veterans and also military personnel active because we have people on base, families right now that are food insecure, believe it or not. And you got, I have a lot of military families that come from base that I feed and help them keep food on the table because I gotta, I gotta, I have issue with 
organizations that will feed you once a month. But what about the other 28 to 29 or 30 days? Yeah. What do you do then? And it's not that I think they should have a handout because my organization is not, be, not about creating a handout situation or, or an atmosphere of dependency. It's about giving a hand up yeah. so now you can help yourself because it's, it's a cliche that goes, uh, God help those who help themselves. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I teach you how to fish, you can see, feed yourself for a lifetime. But if I just give you a fish, you're going to keep coming back to the table looking for me to give you another one. And then when I don't give you one, you'll walk away in a worse state than what you came. And now you're feeling angry at me because I don't want to continue to do what I did for you. So with that said, veterans are primary focus for me, military families, and the children, because right here in San Diego County, and I don't know if you're aware of the numbers, but we have over half a million people that are food insecure. Just in San Diego County? Just in wow. San Diego County. And as a matter of fact, in San Diego, there's about 94,000 thousand veterans that are food insecure and i've never heard that term before food can, insecure right can you can yes. you well, the food insecurity kind of go is, into that food insecurity is not a homeless person because when you talk about food insecurity you're talking about people that has jobs but that don't don't make enough to make ends meet so they'd be faced with crucial decisions whether to buy gas to go to work or whether to buy clothes for their children or whether or not to buy food to put on the table. And a lot of them make these decisions to buy the gas to go to work, to buy the food, the clothes to put on their kids. But now we have just enough, bare minimum, to put in our stomach. So most kids right now are going to sleep hungry. We have about 15 million children right here in San Diego County that's going to sleep hungry every night. That's, that's just something so it's hard for sad. me to imagine for, for a parent. Like, as a parent, what, what do you, like, what do you tell your kids? I can only imagine the stress that that they feel inside having to tell their kid, I'm and sorry, the, yeah, I, and, I and, and not only that, it's like, how do you tell your kid, you in Walmart, no, you can't have those Twinkies because I need to get this. 99 cent? And I can't have it? Or you're choosing ramen over yes, salad. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and the, the problem an issue that I have is that some organizations that I'm familiar with, they have this criteria set up for the people that they can't meet so they don't qualify to get the food that's being given to the organizations to give to the people. Hmm. So what's, what's the, what's the, where's the logic in that? Yeah. You know, and where's the compassion in that to say that, okay, I'm feeding the food insecure families, but if you make $2 more than I require you to make, I can't give it to you. And I've, I've worked with a lot of organizations in this county and across this state that does that. Matter of fact, across this nation, because in this nation we have about 40.6 million food insecure families, and these are working people. Wow. Working jobs every day. But the cost of rent, cost of gas, and everything, it's hard to meet so they can have nutritional meals. So where I came in at, because I had made it my goal to get out here and learn everything I need to learn about who's doing what when it comes to addressing this humanitarian issue that we face, because that's what I consider it to be, a humanitarian issue. Now we are at the point where I know these things. So now everyone that I call and come in contact with to get on board and collaborate with me, hey, 
this is what we can get if we can get this. So right now I'm trying to come together with a proposal for the city of National City and the city of Carlsbad to donate a warehouse to the Holiness Ministry Coalition so we can have a huge distribution center. And if it's a 40, 50,000 square foot building that the city owns, that the taxpayers are paying the taxes on it every, every year, then why not give it to, you know, an organization that's addressing the issue? Because I have, just in the city of Carlsbad, we have an organization about botanical organization. They gave them a building to grow flowers. And you got people going hungry? I don't no. understand that. Somebody need to help me with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm working on that proposal right now with me and, and my friend uh, Murphy, Jimmy Murphy, who owns Murphy Produce, who is becoming a nonprofit as we speak, and it's called Murphy's Produce with Purpose. So is he, is he going from profit to nonprofit, or is he no, no, creating no. a separate entity? Yes, he's creating a separate entity because when we met, he was donating produce to me, and he has a compassion to continue to give. And he was like, well, how do I be able to be a part of this and at the same time have my store over here where I can still make the profit to feed my family? And yeah. then I, we began to talk, and I began to tell him some things and show him some things, and he told me what he was already doing. So now... He wanted, he wanted to create his own entity, and like I said, we came together as collaborative partners, and as long as you keep it holding this ministry coalition, community benefit organization, we can address this problem. Yeah. And so that's where we're at with that. So, and then we ran into another, a lot of produce and just food distributors up in Los Angeles that's given us mega food, but now we're looking for places to try to come Store together. the food. Yeah, store it. And if um if if you would ask the audience because mm -hmm. you, you just mentioned you know kind of what you have as a project coming up this this partnership and this proposal that you want to write um if you could ask the audience anything that they could do to help you out what can they provide well if I, if I was to ask the audience as I've already done on Facebook I created a fundraising page mm -hmm. because if we can get the funding from donors to donate to the coalition we can automatically now don't have to rely on a proposal to submit to a city or county, what have you, but yet now we can go to the direct owners or the, or the direct realtors and, okay, this is what we'll give you for this many years, and then we can move forward from there. So my thing with the community at large right now that has the compassion to towards our veterans and children and the elderly is if they would financially donate to this organization, this organization can definitely be something that you can be proud to be a part of because once the donations come in for us to get the resources that we need, which is the uh, warehouse for storage, and the storage in this particular warehouse is going to be a distribution center for organizations that we collaborate with. It won't be a warehouse where the individuals can go because now we can go to the faith-based community and go to every church, and now we can offer every church as a collaborative partner to have, have a dis distribution as I do right now with Lifeway Church that you can distribute either once a week or twice a week at your own discretion or five days a week if you can have a community that you can you know, address that will meet the need. So the purpose for the audience is to financially support us to get the warehouse, and not only the warehouse, but also get donated from trucking agencies, uh, refrigerated trucks, 20-foot trucks with the lift on it, because we need the 26-footers and with the lifts 
and the refrigeration to transport it back and forth from across these county lines where we're getting the food from. So that's what I would need from the actual community out there, veterans coming together as veterans, helping veterans, and then as we say, as long as we support one another, there is no stunt in the growth of where we can go and who we can reach. Absolutely. Wow. I'll, uh, folks, I'll take a quick moment. So you just gave a, a shout out to some of your sponsors that have helped you out in, in what you're looking for. Um, I wanted to shout out some of our sponsors for TBA and for the podcast. Um, a big partnership that we've undertaken recently that I'm happy to announce uh, we have a new development in is with our uh, firewood sponsor, Axe Ventures. So they finally came up with a discount code for us. So if you want to go throw axes uh, and let them know that you came from the TBA side, your discount code is TBA. That's it. Just Too easy. TBA. And you can show up at the Axe Ventures in uh, Oceanside or the one on 30th Street in North Park. Um, also a good shout out to Seal One Industries. Um, we just had Dwight on for our last podcast. Dwight was kind enough to support us for a table at our last uh, gun prom with San Diego County Gun Owners Association. So thank you, Dwight and Seal One Products for helping us out there. And then lastly, uh, but not least in any means, Big Block Realty. Um, this is a shout out to them for being our second time donor. Um, they have a program where they're trying to educate 10,000 veterans of their homeowner power. Um, and you know, all the programs that are available and affordable to them. So if you need uh, any realty questions answered, I, I urge you to go to Big Block Realty. They're actually hosting a meetup uh, later this Thursday um, that we have posted up on our Instagram. So quick shout out and a thank you to all our sponsors for making this possible. And if you're interested in being a sponsor for Triple B Adventures or for Holiness Ministries Coalition, uh, reach out to us on the podcast. Reach out to Nate or myself on, uh, on Instagram at Triple B Adventures. Um, or through our emails. For me, it's lead at tba.vev, and we'll get you plugged into the community so you can keep helping out and making these things possible. Right on. And, and I just want to close out with a couple questions. If you could, like, give us a timeline. Can, can you tell us, like, how you went from getting out to getting your first degree and then going on to eventually getting your doctorate? Well, it was done in increments of time because when I first got out, I did the, I did the renegade thing. So I was just running to and fro. And then when I, after slowing down after the tragic event that I came with, being shot in my head, different things of that nature, I kind of settled down and went back to school. I went back to school through while I was yet preaching, and I went to. Anderson Theological Seminary, which is located in Atlanta. I got studied theology there for, got, got through with that, been over there and still getting some more classes online with that right now as we speak. And then I went to the University of America, which is, has a home base located in Marietta and the home office is in Utah, but they have campuses all over the world. So went to that. Got the degree from there, and from there we continued to go along with our, you know, continue to educate myself every time I go. I also worked with, in my education process, with an organization called Drug Free World. Drug Free World is a part affiliated and associated with the Church of Scientology. Drug Free World, they appointed me to be a drug prevention certifier in this particular region, in the southern region of California, so I'm a drug prevention certifier. So we do drug prevention education. We also do um, human rights for youth education. 
and all of that is coming through the Drug Free World Foundation. So with that education behind me, I continue to pursue education because you can't never know enough because the minute you think you learn something is the very minute you realize you don't know anything. So, <laughs> right. so life is a learning process. So my educational timeline from that to that is kind of vague as far as particular dates sure, sure. and things like that. Yeah, but what would you say about like it took you 20 years, you know, after getting out, 15 years to get to where you are now? Well, I got out, I discharged in November 1974, and it took me about 25 years to get to where I am now. But you never gave up? No, never stopped. That's incredible. And then my last question, kind of, it's a, it's a little, little off, but uh, so you're kind of soft-spoken. And going into the Marines in the, in the 70s, and, and, you know, the whole mantra of the Marines and hearing your war cry, were you always this soft-spoken, or did that war cry come out? Like, mm, always being soft-spoken, I would say not at all. Because being loud and obnoxious is a way that I project as being out of control of self. Right, but the Marines, at least when you're in, you know, when you're, when you're in boot camp, you need that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a light, it. it's a light switch. So did it come out? Yes, oh, okay. it came out very much. And as I say, <laughs> you be loud and obnoxious because there's a time and a season for everything. But when you turn that light on, and you turn that light on to put the fear of death in the enemy's heart, you got to know when you get back home, you got to turn it off. Yeah. Because when I was before I learned how to turn it off, when I got home, I was waking up in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day while I'm sleeping, fighting in my sleep. Yeah. So it was the thing where I had to come to grips with myself to learn how to turn the switch off and tone it down. Because sometimes I can raise the octaves, and some people who don't know that it's only the octave being raised We'll get fear. <laughs> they'll okay. be surprised. Yeah, they'll be surprised and they'll get scared. I'm mean, like, why you like that? And it, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it happens from time to time. You got to put a volunteer in their place every now and then. Yes, you, you <laughs> have to. You got to step back and let somebody else. Yeah, walk with these shoes for me. Even if they're too big, just walk. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick. I'll catch up with you at the corner and take them back. But, yeah, that to be soft-spoken now, you have to more or less from a training standpoint is put on camouflage and blend in. Yeah. Blend into the scenery. And then you also reminded me, you took you spoke earlier about um, having a, re a release valve. Yes. A release switch. Mm -hmm. So what was that valve for you? Or what is it now? And is it different now than it was back in the day? Good question. That valve for me is just knowing that, as I said earlier, when I end up hurting someone, I only hurt myself. And when I got tired of hurting myself, I learned that the valve that was then is the same valve that is now. It's just that you don't know how to release it then. But now, because of the pressure, and I know how to have to turn and you know manipulate this release valve, now it becomes easier to just shut it down or release it. And when you release it, you get better results, I would say. Yeah, so what do you do to release it now? What do I do to release it now? Pray. Okay. Pray, meditate, talk to God, and listen for him to talk to me. Okay. Because 
as we know as veterans, when we get into hell, where death is all around you, and everybody's dying and blood is everywhere, it's got to be a God, whether you want to believe it or not, because it has nothing to do with me, myself, and I have got me out of those situations. You know, so when I pray, and then I have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to my spirit, it gives me now the wisdom that I cannot acquire of myself to turn that valve off and on. Wow. Well put. Because I wrote a book called A Hundred Poems Inspired by God. And the last poem I put in that book is about when I got shot in my head because a lot of that I was into contributing to what eventually happened. And it goes, he saved my life. Let me see if I can remember it. I remember when the Lord saved my life, I was sitting in a truck. And even though my eyes were closed, I knew they weren't shut. I prayed and I cried when I realized I'd already died. But he opened my eyes, and to my surprise, he was right there by my side. For my past and future pain, he said, is the only way you'll gain. But only when you cease to sin, you'll see with me you'll always win. Now I know the day will come when I've done my all, and he'll give his final call, and then I'll see my friend and he whom I will praise without an end. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. That, thank you. I, I don't think we have a better ending. That, thank you very much for that, Dr. Barker. You're welcome. You're welcome, sir. Wow. And that book is available, and I'll make sure you guys get one of them. Where, where can they get it? Well, you can get it on our website, um, Holiness Ministry Coalition website. Or you can go to the church website, which is Logic of Truth, L-O-G-I-C-O-F-T-R-U-T-H dot org. And we have, for the support that I was speaking of, and, and I know we're closing here, but I feel, feel the need to mention this, we have the Facebook page, Lamb of God Food Pantry. And I just put up, you can either go and donate on that page, or if you're just shopping on Amazon and want to pick you a nonprofit that you want to give to Based off the purchases that you're making off Amazon, just pick Holiness Ministry Coalition. There you go. And your contributions will come from Amazon straight to us. Wow. Well, Dr. Parker, it's truly an honor to, to hear to hear your your story and your and your testimony. Thank you. You're very welcome, and, Nate. On and, the and behalf again, of thanks for, Triple B Adventures. Thanks for, for continuing your donations to us for our, our campouts and uh, on behalf of Triple B Adventures, thank you for being on our podcast. You're very welcome, and on behalf of Holiness Ministry Coalition, I'm so glad I met Triple B, and it's a pleasure that you, Juan, took a moment to introduce me to Nate, uh, Nathaniel, Nathan. Nate, yeah, Nate, Nathan. Nate, okay. Yeah. For this to be all come to fruition. So I thank you for this platform, and it's not, words cannot even begin to compensate for the grace I feel right now. Thank you, Dr. Parker. Welcome. Folks, again, that was Dr. Foley Parker, myself, Juan Ortiz, and Nate Landshark Shermer. We'll see you next time. Or we'll hear you next time. We'll probably hear you, not see you. Love to hear from you.